0: Y'all again, wonderful, wonderful. Well, we're beginning an Advent sermon series uh, this morning, and as Linda pointed out to us earlier this morning, this is the beginning of the Christian calendar. This is our new year together. Now, the Christian calendar ends with a bang. If you were here last week. We end the Christian year every year talking about how the Lamb of God is the King of kings and the Lord of all lords. So that, that Christ is King Sunday is, a, is a, an exclamation point on the end of the Christian calendar. So you would expect that the Christian calendar would also start big. Maybe it, maybe it would be the birthday of the church in Pentecost, but that's not it. You would think it would be Good Friday or Easter, but that's not it. At least let it be Christmas That's not it. Instead, we get Advent, this time of, hey, Christmas is coming, see you in a month. Who who would start a movie like that? Hey, there's a blockbuster, wait about 10 hours and we'll get to the action. Or start a friendship, hey, I met somebody, he or she seems really great, I'll call you in a month. It's kind of a, a dud if you think about it. When we do New Year's, you think about New Year's for our, our culture. There's parties. There's Times Square. There's visiting the ER for that cousin who blew something up because of fireworks, right? Four Sundays of waiting. Why do we wait? Because God has promised. The word Advent means to come, to draw near. And so we want to be ready for that day. There's no, and I've been there, maybe you've been there in this season, you've rushed through it. You got everything done for work, you got everything done for family, you got everything, you've raced through this season to get to Christmas, and we haven't let Advent do its work. And so the Christian church, the mothers and fathers of the church years ago, centuries ago, set up a calendar And said, here are the scriptures that we want to rehearse every time we get together to this season. To make sure that our hearts are ready. To make sure that we are anticipating, not just to celebrate what Christ has done for us. What God has sent, who God has sent to us. But also what he wants to do in us. So let us visit those themes again, that Isaiah 60 passage, which we share together on the first Sunday of every Advent as as it sets our course for these weeks together so that when Christmas Eve comes, and maybe you've been there at that service, when Christmas Eve comes, we're ready for that day. We're ready for Christmas instead of saying, oh, how did I miss this season how did i miss what god wanted to do not just in me but maybe what god's wanting to do in this season so that he can get you ready for what he wants to do through you so we're in isaiah and isaiah is a a tough passage to go to but that's how we start every advent to mark again that the people in isaiah's time were in darkness and in despair and isaiah paints that picture for the for us From the very early chapters of Isaiah, King Uzziah has died. And this next king, it's not good news. And eventually, Jerusalem, eventually the people of God have to surrender. Chapters 1 through 19 are not just times of political struggle, but it's spiritual darkness. Chapter after chapter after chapter. That's where they are. I've shared before with you uh, a story about a football team, uh, the Warwick Pretzels. Yes, the Pretzels. They eventually changed the name to the Warwick Warriors, but my dad was reading uh, for me from the uh, latest record from my hometown of Pennsylvania a couple of years ago. He was reading about the, the big rivalry game was Warwick versus and high school football. And I've told you before, a couple of years ago, That when when Warwick came to Ephrata to play that rivalry game, somehow that field was soaking wet. It hadn't rained in weeks, but somehow that field was soaking wet. You know why that field was soaking wet? Because my grandfather, the head football coach at Ephrata, had the fire trucks come, and they wetted down that field because Warwick was undefeated. This was the last game of the season. Warwick was undefeated. They were going to be fighting for an undefeated season in this game and haven't had an undefeated season since, 1946. This was a big moment for Warwick, and they arrive, and the field is muddy, and my grandfather has his boys ready, and this is the part I didn't tell, with mud cleats, screw-in cleats. Warwick didn't have screw-in cleats. For the first quarter, my grandfather's team, with the lesser players, wiped the floor with the Warwick pretzels. Second quarter, wiped the floor with the Warwick pretzels, undefeated this great team. But by halftime, whether it was coaches or boosters or students, somebody had found mud cleats and got them to the dressing room of the Warwick pretzels. The third quarter, the fourth quarter, and the game belong to the Warwick pretzels. Why? They'd gotten their footing. For 39 chapters, it's darkness and despair. They couldn't get their footing. It's their own sin. It's sin from outside and invaders from outside. But the things of God turn for the people of God in Isaiah 40. Finally, 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 Hope is coming. That game was definitely a game of two halves. Isaiah is a book of two halves. And we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 60 and get the, the second part. But, but we've first got to deal with that first half. The darkness and despair that Isaiah 60 is pointing back to. It's interesting. The real, clear, the real very clear Christmas prophecies... That's where they are. They're in the first 39 chapters of Isaiah. In the very darkest of times, that's where God says to the people of God, my hope is coming. Isaiah 7, 14, he will be born of a virgin. Isaiah 9, 7, 11, 1, and 10, he will be born of the house of David. Hope will be born for you. I wonder what those first days, by the way, were like for Mary and Joseph. Think about it. Some Bible scholars even think Nazareth had as few as 80 people to 100 people. Maybe it's a little bit bigger, but many of us have grown up in small town, middle sized town, Mississippi or Louisiana or Alabama, and you know how quick gossip can spread. I wonder what the talk was around the synagogue about Mary. I wonder what the struggles were with family trying to come to grips with what this angel had said and we already know by their sacrifices already struggling economically those first days were difficult and maybe you've been there in these first days of advent where there's a hurt in your life right now or it's just the anxiety of this season or maybe it's you're caring for a parent or a child or a friend that burden can basically be crushing as you hurt for somebody going through a dark time. Or maybe it's your own spiritual struggle, and it's a season of of real struggle. Well, there's a wonderful word here in Isaiah 60 that we heard read for us. Yes, 1 through 39 is darkness and despair. It doesn't just cover the land, it covers the people. But it's that conjunction that happens in verse 2. If you grew up in the 70s, you knew about School of Rock, or, or excuse me, Schoolhouse, not School of Rock, Schoolhouse, Rock. Anybody remember Conjunction, Junction, What's Your Function? Some of you are going to call me at 2 a.m. this morning, I can't get that song out of my head, shame on you, pastor, and hang up. You're going to be singing that all day, you're welcome. But the conjunction here is but. I think the word love shows up about three or 400 times in Scripture. That's it. The word God shows up around 3,000 plus times in Scripture. This conjunction shows up over 4,000 times. I I, I looked at all of them. I have no sermon left. That's all I did. I looked up that conjunction. You know what usually comes after that conjunction so many times in Scripture I could not count? Is the word God. Things were this way, but God. And maybe we're there. Or we're there for somebody else, and we're just trusting God to do that work in their life, whatever struggle it is. Isaiah 1-39 through does not pull punches. It paints a true picture. There is despair and darkness, but it's always like this with God. To promise that a, a Savior would be born of a virgin in the house of David for your redemption. And so you get this turning that happens. If you've studied Isaiah or you've heard Dr. Oswald talk about it, this turning that happens in chapter 40 where he says, comfort my people. And then this other turning where it's immediately this talk of John the Baptist in the wilderness, the prophecy prophecy of that, preparing the way for Jesus' public ministry. And then you get into chapters 50 through 55 that really talks about the purposes in Christ's coming, that he's born of flesh, not just to show us how to live, Not just to tell us of God, but to suffer for our sins. That he would be, chapter 50, beaten. Chapter 52, disfigured. Chapter 53, rejected. To bear our sins. Be silent before his accusers. Die with transgressors. Be buried in a rich man's tomb. Every Christmas we're reminded of the darkness that covered the land, the darkness that covered the people, but that Christ broke in so to defeat, not just death, but sin itself. To take that into himself and redeem it so that you and I might be forgiven. Every time we see that tree, a Christmas tree or a Christmas tree, it reminds us of this tree. That tree in which Christ came to be born so that he might On that tree, even though it might be cursed, anyone who hangs on a tree, I will consider myself cursed. Bear your sins so that you and I might have life and life eternal. And you just see, I wish we got more than just age 12. What happens after the bud? What happens after Christ is born and and Christ lives? We get age 12, we get Mary and Joseph, we get that little story, that's it. But we do see Christ on his cross And we do get the story of Mary, that she's still all in. Even when it costs her this gift of God to her, that she has watched for 30 years. We still have her interacting at the wedding of Cana Galilee at the beginning of his public ministry. She's still all in. Her daughters are all in. And after the cross and resurrection, even James and Jude, her sons, will be all in. It's that but God. It's even, even through chapters 1 through 39, even through a time of struggle of seeing my son rejected and all these things, I am still all in. There's a turning in Isaiah and a faithfulness here still of Mary And a reminder to us, wherever we've been, whatever we've been through, God is with us. How will you, in our struggles or in our mess, or whatever's going on in our family or at work, God, I'm trusting the term that you have this. I'm trusting in Christ that he will be, which is the theme for our day, you're going to be my hope. The land was covered in darkness and despair. We read that every year because we are banking on Christ to be the hope. But there's one other thing. Not only does he want to be your hope and my hope but we even get a a sense in verse six that when the christ will come it's just so like him it's not just for his people it's not just about him but whosoever for god so loved the world right whosoever would believe And so you get this outward picture, this other orientation. The Gentiles shall come to your light and the kings to your brightness of your rising. Those who are outside are invited in. Isaiah chapter 40, at that turning point, it's comfort your people. But then all of a sudden, this continuing reminder, it's not just gonna be about your people. There's always gonna be Others that want to need to be brought in, and the focus of God is right there. It's through these people, and then I, 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 I through these people, I'll, I'll share my son. But he's for all; he's the hope for all. I shared this story at at uh, pastor's Bible study a couple of years ago. But one of the more nervous times of my life, I was asked to be a referee at a high school powder puff football game. These girls from Northwest Rankin, uh, I want to be careful. Some of our families may go there. So I'm just going to, back in the day, not now. Now they're all sweet angels. And matter of fact, most of the people playing that day, it was just fun, you know, running around, a little bit of taunting here and there, but it was a seniors versus a juniors, girls versus girls, flag football. But they actually wore helmets and shoulder pads for this thing. And there was a couple of places like, ooh, that was kind of hard. Ooh, that was a smash. And then I started noting, you know, I think it's the center for the seniors who's doing all the smashing. So we started watching her. They had all the different youth pastors of the area uh, uh, refereeing the game. And she'd crush somebody, and then she'd go back. But I always noticed she kept digging into her sweatpant pocket. And I'm like, I grew up watching pro wrestling. Is she getting a shank out of there? Is Is she getting a foreign object right and then put it away? No, no, no. And so I just watched her. She'd crush somebody, and then she wouldn't go for the same person, too. Then she'd go crush somebody. She kept pulling something out and messing with her hand. So I finally got up real close. She had names written on her arm. And what she was pulling out of her sweatpants pocket was a Sharpie. And every time she had nailed one of those girls, crossed through the name. Who's next? All right. She had her list. She was checking it twice, and all of them were naughty, right? Going to get them. You're the children of God, and you have taken it on the chin. Yes, because your own sin, but you're taking it on the chin from a foreign oppressor and these people that don't worship the true God. I mean, you can almost hear Jonah saying, I know it's just like you to forgive him. That's why I don't want to go tell him, because you're a loving God. I know just what you'll do. Yes, Isaiah 60, but God. Not only does God want to do something for us, whatever darkness or struggle we've been in, but you already see this is his orientation. This is his heart. This is his purposes. I want them all to come. I don't, I don't have names written in my heart. That's love. 1 Corinthians 13 keeps no record of wrong. Until that day of judgment, I want everybody to come. I love how our church has done that. Linda brought that up in her prayer this morning. It is easy in this season to circle the wagons. And yet to watch you all and and break our goals, as you heard Steve say this week, to break our goals for Madcap and what we want to do there. Um, To see some of you going downtown still to do why not now during social distancing and praying with people in the inner city uh, to see us not be able to have the fun of Rise Against Hunger? Seeing some of you guys in a hairnet, that's worth the price of admission to Rise Against Hunger, right? We couldn't go. We still gave them every cent. Go feed the world. To get to hear next week from Katie Moody, two, not one, two hurricanes and a pandemic and to hear Todd and Katie talk about, let me tell you how God's working and what we're doing through this. And watch our church step up financially. When the pandemic hit, how can we help your blessing bag ministry? When we couldn't have the garage sale we normally have, let's give all the budget dollars that we would normally have given through the garage sale. Let's do it. Let's support what they're doing on the ground. Whether it's Celebrate Recovery or the things we're doing for phase two. It's easy. to, And y'all, y'all have done that beautifully. Just this past week, delivering meals to our homebound. What we'll do for VIPs this week. What you're doing in your Sunday schools and your small groups to, yes, take care of one or in honor, prefer one another, build each other up. That's biblical, but the, but the other eye's always got to be on who doesn't know Jesus. Because that's what Scripture says. Comfort my people? Yes. I pray, I pray you know his help and his nearness in whatever struggle you're in. That's Isaiah 60. Whatever darkness has been, Christ, his light, his hope wants to break in. But, but who else needs to know? There are kings who will come. There are Gentiles who will come. And we've got to keep our eye. We've got to keep our eye on those and our heart for those. As we go through Advent, there is darkness and despair as we begin. We need to rehearse that story every season to be, to be mindful of wherever you are this year, God is waiting to break in. If we will wait upon him he will do that anew. But also, who is that neighbor? Who's that coworker? Who's that friend? Who's that family member who also needs the gospel? How can we as a church, as a small group, as a Sunday school, as a Bible study, as a mission group, how can we be the good news, a light unto the Gentiles? Let's pray about that. Father, we thank you that you loved us so much that you sent your only son, that this, he is the Lamb of God slain before the foundation. Of the world. He was always in your heart to be sent for us and for our sin in our darkness and in our despair. We praise you for that. And Father, I do pray today that your spirit would would speak to our spirits to remind us again of what your word has shared that you come to us in times of emotional struggle, physical struggle, family struggle, relational struggle, and especially spiritual struggle, wherever we are. We pray that this season would truly be Advent, that you would come near, that you'd prepare our hearts to receive. Help us also, Father, to have your heart. Whatever breaks your heart, we want it to break our heart. Father, whatever whatever you are wanting to do, that's what we want to do. So give us a heart for those who do not know this good news, and let us be a part of your son's kingdom work here. We praise you and we thank you. Bless now our response to this, your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.